So uh, I know this is going to come a shock to most of you, but I was not one of the most popular kids in high school. I know, I know. This is just, no. I don't have any issues or anything like that. It's not like it wasn't one of those kinds of things. I was pretty much friendly with just about everybody in my grade, but that didn't really translate to hanging out with cool upperclassmen or getting party invitations or you know that kind of that kind of thing. So I was one of those kids. You know, I, I probably best summed up describe it to you this way. Uh, I played sports, but I also hung out with my friends in the chess club. You know. So it was kind of one of those, I was kind of had my feet in both worlds type thing. It has nothing to do with Star Wars or anything like that or being a geek uh, or, or anything. There's this really cool thing that, I don't know if you saw the movie or not yet, but there's this really cool thing in the opening scene. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to give any spoilers. There's a, what's that? Yeah, okay, I'll tell you the ending. See what happens is Jar Jar Binks is Snoke. All right, spoiler. Some of you are like, yeah, you're, I can see why you're not popular in high school. So there, but there are always, even, I wasn't popular in high school, but like all of us can, can, even if you were in the in crowd, all of us can probably think back and remember a time where we felt drawn to belong to the people who were in, right? I mean, there was some kind of draw to belong in some sort of crowd, even if you were like in an alternative group of friends, you still wanted to belong or blend in in some way with those people. You, I don't know, maybe it was a grass is always greener on the other side type of thing. Maybe it was a fear of missing out. Maybe you just wanted to be in the know. You know, you know what that's like, right? You want to be the first person to know stuff. You felt like you wanted to be special to other people. Countless motivations for the same thing in high school and if we're honest still today, a feeling of wanting to belong. And we'll do all kinds of crazy things to belong to uh, other groups of people or, you know, as parts of things. And you'd think or you'd hope that as we come, become adults, all the more shallow versions of that would kind of start to fade away. But you know what it's like. You've got to dress the right way. You've got to drive the right kind of car. You've got to have the right kind of job. You've got to have the right kind of position in your job. You've got this pull in your life to want to spend time with certain people, to entertain yourself in certain ways, and it can be hard not to slide into those cultural signifiers to belong in life, unless we have a significant enough motivation in our life that we are presented with that outweighs and overshadows those facades. The things that we get pulled into that are a never-ending cycle of trying to belong in ways that will never provide belonging for us. And there's this visitor to the island of the misfit toys who perfectly encapsulates, I mean the most important character of the entire movie, who perfectly encapsulates this need to not care about what other people think about them, but belongs and treats other people as if they belong and invites him along on his journey. And it's the, most, it's the best character of the whole movie of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's Yukon Cornelius. I mean, just look at that beard. 
And that mustache, I mean, that's just, that's just amazing. He is the best character of the whole movie, most underrated character, because this guy, he doesn't care what other people think about him. He doesn't care where other people are from. He comes along, he meets these crazy people, these misfits. I mean, he's the most misfit of all the misfits in this entire movie, and yet he doesn't have any prejudice against anyone. He accepts everyone immediately. He invites them along in his life. He is the most important hero of the whole story. It's not Rudolph. It's not Hermie. I'm, I know, I'm, I'm like ruining your childhood right now. Because he gave the most of himself out of anyone else to help outsiders find belonging. And outsiders is a big part of the Christmas story. In fact, in your nativity scene, you've got a few outsiders in your nativity scene that don't even belong in the nativity scene. You've seen them. You know exactly what I'm talking about. They've got robes on. They look like medieval kings. They've got crowns on and stuff like that. And they absolutely don't belong in the nativity the story, in the, in the story or in your scene at your house for a couple of different reasons. One, these three wise men or these magi, they weren't there when Jesus was born. How many of you knew that? Yeah, some of you, know, yeah. hands went up quick. I was like, I'm in the know. I knew that. They absolutely were not there when Jesus was born. They were there maybe like two years after Jesus was born. And I'm not saying you've got to go home and you've got to throw them out of your nativity scene. What I am saying is that you need to put them on the other side of the room or down the hall or something like that because they are not quite there yet. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to discover why these outsiders are included in this story because it says so much about how God sent Jesus and the inclusiveness of the kingdom of God and what that's supposed to mean for the Christmas story. And so we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew, uh, just at the beginning of chapter 2, jumps directly in talking about these magi, these wise men, without a whole lot of explanation. And he says in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And here's the interesting thing about the Magi. They come about two years later after Jesus was born, and Mary and Joseph were living in a house in Bethlehem at this point, and they're looking for him to, uh, to find and knock on this door. It's interesting to me that they don't just go straight there, that the Magi, they really don't know who or what they're looking for. Yeah, they call Jesus the king of the Jews, but they've got to go to the local king of the area and find out, hey, what, what are we really looking for? Like, do you know that ultimately the Magi, they didn't know that they were looking for the Messiah, but they did know that they were trying to find some sort of direction in their life to find out who they were supposed to be looking for and where they were supposed to go. And that's one of the key aspects of somebody who's on the outside looking for a way to belong. And here's the thing that we learn from the Magi is that when you're seeking after what God wants you to find, you're going to discover where you belong. And here's, here's how the Magi did it, and here's how their story plays into the Christmas story. The first thing is the Magi read and studied to discover meaning in their life. The Magi were so familiar enough with the narrative of the Bible in the Old Testament and how God was working that they were looking for signs and clues for things that God said was going to come and have happen. And I just want to let you know, like if you're in a place in your life where you're trying to seek some belonging, you feel like you're in the outsider looking in, that for you to take some time 
and pause in your life, remove distractions, and to read and study what God has preserved throughout thousands of years for us to know about him is one of the most important and essential first steps that you could take in your life. And I, like, there's just not a more, a more clear way to say it th- than this. If you're not reading your Bible, you should be. I mean, it's just, it's just that, and I get like you might not like to read, or there are sections of the Bible you may not, might not want to start in Leviticus, but you need to read your Bible to know and understand what God has given you to know and understand about Him so you can know how you belong as part of His story for your life. Whether it's listening to the Bible on like download you version, you can listen to the Bible and you can listen to somebody read it to you, whatever it is, like be in God's word and know, understand. These guys are all the way probably from Persia and have traveled hundreds, if not thousands of miles to get here, all because they read and studied ancient texts that were left with them hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. You think through, and we've talked about people like Daniel. Uh, in several sermons years ago, we've talked about people like Esther and Mordecai that you look through your Old Testament and see how the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they were spread all over the world, that different kingdoms came in and conquered them. These were people who were taken away from their homeland, who were faithful to God in places where they did not belong, where they were exiles. And as a result of that, the information, the writings about God and from God got so ingrained into other cultures and other people groups that they were still studying these texts by the time Jesus was born. There there had been like a 400-year period of silence from God, and yet people who didn't believe in God and didn't know about him were still looking for God to do things in life because of people who were faithful to him where they didn't feel like they were belonging, they felt like they were exiles, were sharing who God was. And these guys, they, you know, you, you can do a, a lot of different reading about them. Magi, that's actually the word that we get magician from and magic from. And these were not illusionists, but these were Renaissance wisdom priest type people. They studied the stars. They would have had a lot of different knowledge. They probably had royal appointments. These were smart people, you know, think like Leonardo da Vinci type type people, and they were looking, they would look up in the stars, see what's going on, they thought, oh, the stars and the signs and the moons and all that kind of stuff would mean certain things. Like, I don't know if you know this, but we still do that today. Like, if you know, want to know the wrong time to go to a hospital, just look to see if it's a full moon. Did you know that? It's a real thing. You can look it up. So we can see those signs and, and those kinds of things. The height of these people, the, the effectiveness of God's people in these situations, these exile situations were in places in which they didn't feel like they belonged, but God was working through them. Daniel, Esther, Mordecai. And it led to these guys, these magi, finding Jesus. The magi were pretty in tune to what was happening in the heavens. They studied all the stars and alignments and constellations. And every time they saw something crazy in there, they thought it was a sign that something or somebody important was, was to come. And here's the thing that they did. They took all of that. They put it together. They understood that knowledge for knowledge's sake doesn't really help anyone unless it was acted upon. And even though it's crazy and it's weird and they don't belong and we don't really know exactly how they got there, God led these magi to the Son of God. And here's the thing that I think is interesting, the second thing that the magi did. They studied to find meaning. They read... The Magi were also more interested in truth and finding it out 
than they were in belonging. I mean, these were people, and we don't know how many magi there actually were. There were three gifts. We don't know if there were actually three wise men. And there was going to be a huge group of people that would have traveled with them. They need servants to carry their food and find shelter and carry shelter with them and all that kind of stuff. So this is a big group of people. But imagine how crazy everybody at home thought that they were. Imagine how much they stuck out because they were willing to put up all of their time and money and resources into going and finding this insignificant to them, to the Persian Empire, king of the Jews that was going to be born. And yet more than they cared about belonging to their culture, belonging to their friends and their family, they were willing to take this huge trip out of their way to go and find Jesus. They weren't interested in the religious political interplay that they would find under the Roman Empire. They didn't care about how King Herod felt about the situation, who, by the way, was not happy at all. If you continue to read in that chapter, you find that King Herod was disturbed and all of Jerusalem was with him because King Herod was the kind of guy that killed his own sons when he thought that they might be trying to take power from him. We know a lot about him because of a historian named Josephus. King Herod was the kind of guy that would destroy anything or anyone in his path that he thought might remove power from him. But the Magi came in, they didn't care. They didn't care what the result was, was going to be with their interaction with him. What they they cared about is finding the truth about this amazing thing that was happening. So Herod, Herod has this interaction with the Magi. They come in, they say, hey, where, where is, uh, where's this king of Jews that's supposed to be born? And he calls his special advisors in and the people who were his kind of Magi-type people. And he says, hey, what in the world are they talking about? So they go in and they start studying. And they find in Micah, Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, we, we have Micah quoted, who says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so it's interesting, like the people who had had these texts and that lived in this area, who were six miles away from where Jesus was going to be born, they had missed all of this and the significance of this when they were right there. Well, and it was because they were more concerned about belonging in the current culture and system and royalty and power that they were involved in then that they completely missed what God was doing right in front of their faces. And so Herod calls these magi who's traveled all the way from this other kingdom and say, hey, when, when did you see, see this star? Because they're saying it's going to be over in Bethlehem. And they said, well, about two, two years ago. And, and we traveled all this way. They're not from here. They don't belong. They're not even in the right empire, much less, from the, much less from the right country. They're not the right type of people. If God was going to give a sign in the sky to someone to let them know that Jesus had been born, it wasn't going to be Persian magi. It would, it would be the Israelite nation. Like that's, that's who should know this, right? That's who should be in on what God is doing. And yet God gives this sign to people who are on the outside to come in to belong. And even though they weren't from around here and they weren't the right type of people, they were more prepared and more excited for what God was about to do through the Messiah. And they were more ready to celebrate in their life because they were on the outside. See, the star makes an appearance again in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. When they saw the star and they go directly to the house that Jesus is in, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. 
Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. See, it didn't matter to them what state they found Jesus in. All the signs and direction God had given to them led them right to where their gifts belonged. And that was the third thing that the Magi did to bring them from outsiders, to bring them into belonging with God. The Magi used their resources to find who their gifts belonged to. I want to read this quote from uh, John Piper's Good News of Great Joy, an Advent reading uh, that he has. He says, By giving to you, talking to God, by giving to God what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I'm saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure, not these things. And I think that's what it means to worship God with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, our gift-giving and taking note of our gift-giving, by, by doing that, we'll know how far we've come in our journey by our willingness to respond in real and tangible ways that come about as a direct effort to worship the king. These magi had put everything they had in their life, their servants, their time, their resources, to travel all this way to see Jesus. They didn't just bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They put everything that they had emptied their savings account, pulled from their retirement, sold their house and their cars to make this journey. They used their talents and their abilities and astronomy and knowledge of language and reading and academics. They poured everything they had into this journey simply to find the king of the Jews, the son of God. And their response in finding him, not where you would expect a king to be, in a small house, in a small town, without very many resources at all, was to rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They fell down and worshipped him. They brought gifts with them that celebrated who he was, gold that was fit for a king, frankincense fit for a priest, and myrrh for someone who was born to die. See, even if the Magi didn't completely understand what Jesus would do in his life They found and celebrated the Messiah with everything they had, God's salvation for all people. They celebrated the proof from God that he truly and wholly and unreservedly loves all of us. They came and celebrated God's plan that was pointed to through all centuries, that he would go out of his way to fulfill the requirements of holiness that he requires from us himself, that Jesus would embody the fullness of the joy of Christmas through love, a love for us to experience and give to all, a love for us to find meaning and truth and a place to belong that's worth giving everything in our lives for. You remember Yukon Cornelius in the movie and how he would throw his axe and then he would go pick it up and he would sniff it and he would lick it? Kind of weird, right? Not typical behavior. And he talks about when he first meets Hermie, and he meets Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He talks about how he's the greatest prospector ever, and this is his land, and there's gold and silver, and then there are hills, and he's got this great silver strike that he's had the side of Hudson, the Hudson River. And you're kind of led to believe and think, if you've seen the, the, the special, that Yukon Cornelius is there for the gold and silver. But actually, in the original showing of the special, Yukon is not there for the gold and silver. The final scene of the movie, of the special, Yukon Cornelius is there, Rudolph 
has saved Christmas and he's flying off of Santa and he's standing there outside of Santa's house and he throws up his pickaxe. You can find the scene on YouTube. It really exists. And he picks it up and he sniffs it and he licks it. He says, I found it. What I've been looking for my whole life. Peppermint. That's what he was there for. He was looking for peppermint. He was trying to find a peppermint mine. And that's why he was still there. I, so what really happened is that Yukon, he'd already struck it rich. He found all the stuff. He was the greatest prospector, and yet he poured all that gold and silver into the thing that he really desperately wanted the most, and that was peppermint, which I can kind of understand. Like, I like peppermint, peppermint chocolate and stuff like that. Like, that, those, are pretty, those are pretty good com- combination. But it's crazy that Yukon would spend all this time and effort to find something that's completely impossible, and yet it was the one thing that for him was going to cause him to feel like his life had meaning and purpose, and that finally, like, he didn't care about what anybody else thought about him or what anybody else thought about his mission, but that was the thing that he wanted to have happen in, in his life. And Jesus says, and the Magi lived out this same truth. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. It's like Persian magi astrologer priests traveling hundreds of miles or more and using all the resources and talents and ability to finally discover what we've all needed our entire lives. It's not trying to bend in. It's not trying to belong in the groups of people and culture and society and levels of, of belonging or to blend in or fit in with empty facades, but giving up our journey of belonging to the one who already gives belonging to us. So Yukon was the most misfit and, yes, the most accepting character of the story. The Magi are the most misfit and yet accepting characters of the Nativity story. As insiders, may we not forget, as Christians, may we not, on the inside, may we not forget where we belong. And that's on the outside. Recognizing just like Jesus was a stranger and he was an alien. And even after he had this experience with the Magi, like he had to flee to Egypt as a refugee in this moment. Like he, he wasn't even welcome in his own country, in his own hometown, and his own area. Even Jesus came in to his own people as an outsider that we are too. That this world is not our home. That these experiences that we have, that some are good, some are terrible, whatever you're going through this Christmas season. See, the secret to belonging is recognizing that we're all outsiders that God has welcomed in. Recognizing that, you know, whether or not we really should care how misfit we are in this culture, in our families, or in our lives. It's the kind of place that we want to be as a church. We want to be outsiders who allow anyone to belong and to come in. It plays a part in, uh, in even how we serve as a church and how we're involved in our community. I just want to read uh, a couple of things Sylvia gave me. Um, she always uh, collects Fresh Start uh, for single mothers and their children testimonies from that ministry, and she uh, shared those with me. And I'm just going to read uh, three of those. 
And just just listen to this and think about whole the idea of outsiders belonging and the inclusiveness of the gospel and how this plays a part of the Magi coming and celebrating Jesus. Um, so here's the first one. Fresh Start has been amazing. It's a judgment-free place for me and my kids to come every week. The women here are so brave, strong, and full of love. I've learned how to forgive those who hurt me and forgive myself, or at least start to try to forgive myself. My kids enjoyed coming and had fun in a safe, loving environment. I've been so thankful for all the volunteers here with Fresh Start. Fresh Start has helped me understand my child more. It has also shown me how to just let go and forgive. It really helps me release a lot of the things I was holding, stopping me from moving forward. My daughter loves loves to come. She always asks, are we going to the meeting today? Because of Fresh Start, I've decided to dedicate my life to Christ by going to church more often. The last one is Fresh Start. This is not the last one. The last one I'm going to read. Fresh Start has given me hope that even though bad things happen to good people and good women, we can come together and create a lifelong bond of friendship. Fresh Start has impacted my life in a positive way that I get to connect with others that have been through similar experiences. I've truly enjoyed the peace Fresh Start has given me in helping me to face my insecurities. I've enjoyed meeting a fabulous group of women. The impact of hope, trust, and faith in God has provided me with the strength that my future will get better. Thanks, thanks to Fresh Start. It, it's amazing to me how just letting people in without judgment, without needing to be perfect, just giving a place to belong can change their life. It's changed other people's lives. It's changed my life changed the life of my family. Um, this past week, on Tuesday afternoon, evening, I baptized my daughter. And 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 just so you know, like this church has been a part of her belonging to the family of God. The relationships that she's built with your kids, with you, as adults. The fact that she wants to come to church is a big deal <laughs> to me. That she wants to be here, that she loves her teachers that are serving in Velocity Kids, who are accepting them and teaching them about the gospel. And, and that's what it's all about. That's the end result that we're looking for, is to let people know, hey, it doesn't matter if you feel like you're on the outside, you feel like you're on the inside. Man, we're all on the outside, but God accepts and, and, and gives us all belonging through his son Jesus. And that's the Christmas story. And that's why the Magi, I guess, are part of the nativity scene in, in your house. is because Jesus welcomes us all. We all belong when we follow him. Right now, just like we do every week, we're going to take communion together and we do that because this is a table where there's an open invitation for all of us to come in and celebrate what God has done through Jesus and so we take a little bit of bread and we take a little bit of juice and remind ourselves that we all even though we don't really belong we belong because of what God has done through his son so let's pray as we take communion together God, thank you for uh, this time of worship, and thank you for uh, this time of uh, pausing in this busy season of life and uh, remembering why we come together. 
and why we belong as part of your family. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for sending him. And it's his name we pray. Amen.